You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have any questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. When I was growing up, I remember specifically seeing one item at high school football games, on construction sites. This was like the item that every dad or construction worker kind of carried around with them. And this is Stanley's legendary bottle in Hammertone Green. Who remembers this? Who still has one? Okay, you've got the convenient cup at the top that unscrews. You could pour in the coffee. You could pour in the hot chocolate. This is the item that Stanley was known for for years. But what has happened in the last four years? Right? We know these. We buy these. We purchase these. We wait in line for these. This is the Stanley quencher, okay? They come in a couple of different sizes, but this is a very popular item in our culture today to the point where it's becoming a little weird to the lengths that people will go to obtain one of these. So a little background information about the Stanley Quencher. It is the item that's primarily responsible for helping the Stanley Company grow its annual revenue from $70 million to $750 million in four years. Okay, so you'll notice this graph right here. See, we see the legendary bottle right there, and it's hanging out at 2019. Eh, revenue's kind of good. It escalates a little bit in 20, but then the quencher comes along in 2021 and boosts sales a little bit. But then there is a rebranding and a redesign of the whole company. And popularity is just skyrocketing to the end of 2023, where Stanley records a $750 million annual revenue. And so it's very fascinating. I came across an article this week that was very troubling, and I want to share a little bit about it with you because of the immense popularity of this one particular item. There's a content creator, you know, the people that are influencing out there on various platforms of social media, and she first heard about the quencher in 2022 and was interviewed about her personal collection of the cup. When I read this article, at the time of its writing, she had over 47 Stanley quenchers in her possession that she had purchased. And she is quoted in the article as saying this, on the days that I do have extra time, I search for the specific color that matches my shirt. I wouldn't even say Stanley's are something I use. They're actually part of my personality. If I don't have it, if I don't choose the right color, my day kind of doesn't go how I planned it. 
So essentially what she's saying is that she's basing aspects of her personhood on a cup that she drinks from. And there's an element to it that is ridiculous. There's an element to it that is laughable. But there is an equal component to that that we need to be aware of. Okay? Habitual patterns can lead to good living, but often the habits we form are from a place of self-interest that inevitably lead to discontent. So in her situation, one Stanley Cup isn't enough. I need 47 of them to match my wardrobe. And so what we're going to be talking today, what we're going to be considering as we come to this final chapter in the book of Philippians is this idea of Christ-centered commitment. As a recap, on week one, we talked about Christ-centered living and how it empowers us to stand firm, faithful, and fearless when facing the things we feel ill-equipped to handle. So Paul says, whatever happens, remember this in verses 27 and 28, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened and in any way by those who oppose you. In week two, we said Christ-centered living produces self-giving humility. This is the ancient hymn that's right there in Philippians chapter two, where it says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he gives himself away, therefore we follow suit and as Christians, as people who believe in this gospel message, we give ourselves away like he did. Last week, David talked about Christ-centered living, including a primary focus on knowing God. This is where Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to know him, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. This is uncomfortable for us to consider as American citizens. We will do anything and everything in and of ourselves to avoid suffering at all costs. But historically, this is not what Christians are identified by. They're identified by their relation to Christ and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, which leads us to today with the simple phrase, Christ-centered living breeds contentment. And that word breeds is a little awkward right there, but it really serves the purpose for Paul's flow of thought throughout the remainder of chapter four today. So let's go to Philippians chapter four and we're gonna start in chapter two and we're gonna end up at verse 13. I'm gonna read our text and then we're gonna pray together 
and we will consider what Christ has to say to us today that's going to be formative for our minds and our hearts. Beginning in chapter 2, or excuse me, verse 2 of chapter 4. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pause this morning, this last week in the book of Philippians. And I pray over each of us. I pray that as we consider what Christ-centered contentment is, that it will be deeply transformational for us as followers of Jesus. Because like he didn't consider equality with you something to be used to his own advantage, we don't want to do that either. When it comes to the acquisition of wealth and everything that we're concerned about and everything that we're filling our time with, I pray that we would consider what is to be spoken from your word today and that it would be for our benefit. And we would know that it is from you because it is spoken from your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so right at the very beginning, Paul is saying, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. All right? So the, these are women within the church at Philippi who have caused a disturbance within the church because of their disagreement with one another. These are fellow ministry companions of Paul. 
These are women ministers within the church. Where would you and I be without the influence of women in ministry in this church? There's an Orchard Africa informational meeting following the service today. And with the exception of Ron Delaney and Candace Akins' boys, guess the gender of the 15 people who have signed up to attend that meeting. They're all females. And this is not a slam against men. It's just saying women feel empowered to do the work of the ministry and nothing is going to stop them. And so women are to be commended for the ministry that they provide for Christ's church. But yet here we see at the church at Philippi, Euodia and Syntyche are divided. Can you imagine having this letter delivered back to the church at Philippi and it read corporately and Paul calls these two women out who are probably on opposite ends of the room from one another and he just says, be unified for the sake of the gospel, get over yourselves and move on. That is a message to us. If there is division, if there is any disunity within any relationship that we have in Lost Mountain Baptist Church, get it taken care of before you leave the room today. Because this is serious business. The message of the book of Philippians is about joy in the Lord and it is about unity in the church. If you have an issue with me, if I've done something to offend you, come up to me and talk about it. I'm a pretty pretty approachable guy. And we want the same to be said of every person in this room. We can only benefit from that and it will serve as our mutual encouragement and edification. But we move on to verses four through six. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. He's saying, be glad in the Lord. Joy has been the constant theme with unity in the church throughout the letter even in spite of Paul's unfavorable conditions as this letter is written in a Roman prison. We can only live above miserable circumstances in the harsh complexity of a world wrecked by sin when the joy of the Lord is our strength. Remember in James chapter one, verses two through four, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. We joyfully endure trials of many kinds to shift our thinking from the temporary to the eternal. This is something that's difficult for us even as Christians because we're so focused on the temporal that it robs us of thinking about the eternity that is before us in light of our knowledge of who Jesus is. He is coming to restore all things. So why would we concentrate so much on the temporal circumstances around us and not focus on the beautiful eternity that awaits for us in his presence? 
We are followers of Jesus. How often do we rejoice? At all times. D.A. Carson says this, the believer who practices rejoicing in the Lord will increasingly discover balm in the midst of heartache, rest in the midst of exhausting tension, love in the midst of loneliness, and the presence of God and control of excruciating circumstances. Such a believer never gives up the Christian walk. Resolve always to rejoice in the Lord. I know some of you this morning have come in here limping because of a devastating circumstance that you have encountered lately that has caused a sword to come upon your heart and you're wondering if you are going to make it. Paul's admonition here is to continue to rejoice anyway because the joy of the Lord is legitimately your strength. In verse five, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, he's saying, let go of any vain attempt of self-promotion and instead be known for your selflessness. As it says again, back in Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Let your gentleness, let your forbearance, let your selflessness be known to everyone in a culture that is just trying to get ahead. We are individualistic. We want to continue with the progression of ourselves. And this is not what Paul is communicating. He's saying, let your gentleness gentleness be known to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. I can't tell you how many times I've read through the book of Philippians and I've glossed over that portion of verse chapter five that says, or verse chapter, verse five that says the Lord is near and just kind of dismiss that as, yeah, okay, um, the, the Lord is, he's, he's coming again. I, I'm aware of that. But what Paul has in mind here, it could mean that, but I think what he has in mind here is that the Lord is near. He is spatially, he is personally near to us. And it can mean both of those things, which is kind of doubly encouraging. In Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to you today in the midst of whatever devastating circumstance you are encountering and you can draw comfort from that reality. He is near but he's also coming again. So we can be encouraged by both of those things because the text is clearly indicating an understanding of both of those things. And we get to verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. Easy, right? 
Do not be anxious about anything. In Elm Institute, we started our gospel formation class this past Wednesday night, and we said that our culture is characterized by anxiety, anger, and addiction. And these destructive forces are no less prevalent in our churches today. So the world, it's gotten progressively smaller since the invention of the printing press, the telegraph, the radio, the telephone, the television, to the internet, and of course, to the very world in our pockets, right? And instead of these inventions only contributing to, to human flourishing, our habitual pattern of addiction has resulted in our human diminishing. America's mental health crisis has skyrocketed, as a lot of you are aware of. And I would submit to you, our access to the entire world in our pockets has contributed to that mental health crisis. Check out some of these statistics from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. One in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. One in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness each year. One in six U.S. youth aged 6 to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. And suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 14. This one hit close to home to me because my little boy just turned 10 years old. And so there is this crisis that's continuing to skyrocket, but it's prevalent in our churches as well. Because we don't understand how to tap into and access the joy of the Lord that is going to serve as our strength in the midst of a culture in chaos. The biblical command to not be anxious seems so unrealistic to us that we almost scoff at it. But what's the alternative? Paul says, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So when is the last time you immersed yourself in the presence of God through prayer? Now, I'm talking about uninterrupted, prolonged periods of thankfully laying out one by one your petitions to the Lord who is near to you. The discipline's almost unheard of due to the busyness of our schedules, right? As Christians, we know we're supposed to pray, but knowledge and experience are two totally different things, aren't they? So Jake, are you saying that a better prayer life will heal me from my crippling anxiety, my anger, my addiction, mental disorder, physical handicap, whatever the case may be, I'm not saying that. Do I believe in the supernatural power of prayer to accomplish these things? You better believe I do. But what I'm saying is that if the Bible is true 
A vibrant prayer life will equip you with the peace of God to sustain you through these things. Because it's the peace of God that transcends all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I will not do a hospital visit without Philippians 4 verse 7 in my thoughts. It's often a part of my prayer as I pray over the person in the hospital bed or I pray with the family at a funeral home. Father, during this time, let the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Do you guys have chairs in your house? They're chairs that we go to in our house, right? We have the one chair that helps us feel a little bit more uncomfortable, helps us unwind a little bit when we get home. And so my wife, she's one of those people that, hey, if it's an estate sale, if it's on Facebook Marketplace, if it belonged to somebody else, we're gonna go buy it. I want the new stuff. I don't want people's old garbage. But Julie has a vision. She repurposes and redoes all these things with what she buys. And so one day we drive out to Woodstock and we pick up this chair and it's sitting in our house right now. It's a nice looking chair. Can I tell you that Julie got this one right? I stinking love this chair. It is the place that I go to in our home to read and to relax. Because when we sit down in a chair, we're able to breathe a sigh of relief, right? We come in, we sit down, we feel comfortable. The word for peace here in verse seven can mean to sit down in one's heart because the heart is the seat of life. This verse is saying that the peace of God is like a garrison of soldiers guarding your heart while you rest comfortably inside. This is the peace that Jesus is talking about when he says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor let them be afraid. Paul speaks of this same peace in Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. This peace is only offered to those in Christ because it is of Christ. As it says in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. That's my question to us this morning. Have you experienced this peace that surpasses all understanding? Have you been released from your bondage to sin by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ? Have you confessed the Lord Jesus to be Lord of your life and turned from a lifestyle of habitual patterns of destruction and reoriented yourself to be obedient to the God that has created you. 
Do you believe in the sinless life and the substitutionary death, the burial and the bodily resurrection and ultimate ascension of the Lord Jesus to be the only thing that makes you righteous in the presence of God? This is the hope that Christians have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We receive this by faith and then we follow him until he returns or we draw our last breath. Either way, we end up in his presence. And he moves on to say, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. I can know what type of person I am by what I think about. Concealing my thoughts from other people is easy, but it's not so with the one who gave us the, compa- the capacity to think. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Both our hearts and our minds must be guarded in Christ Jesus. This involves effort on our part. It involves replacing our thoughts with God's thoughts. His thoughts are recorded within his word, yet we are not treasuring it like the psalmist who said in Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Again, D.A. Carson says, there is no enduring sanctification apart from the truth of the gospel taking hold of our minds. This is one of the reasons every person participating in gospel formation this semester is going to memorize Romans chapter 12 because the word of God is instrumental in transforming our minds. We just started on Wednesday night. If you still want to jump in, hey, sign up for this. We're going through a systematic approach to change the way that we do things in our lives. We're implementing a course of spiritual formation within ourselves to make us like Jesus. So if you have the opportunity, if you have the time to devote to that, sign up for it. It's not too late. Paul goes on to tell this church that he loves so much. Whatever, have, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so Paul's confidence in Jesus here is something to ascribe to. We're, we're actually preventing ourselves from being the devoted followers of Jesus others want to imitate. Instead of rejoicing, we're irritable. Instead of peaceful, we're anxious. Instead of meditating on the truth, we buy into lies and end up purchasing 47 Stanley quenchers to match our wardrobe because the color coordination makes us feel like we're in control, right? Listen to what Tony Morita says. Christ is the reconciler, the gentle savior. 
His gift of salvation gives us cause to rejoice. He removed our greatest fear and relieves our deepest anxiety through his victorious death and resurrection. He paid the penalty for those who sinned with their thoughts and he grants them a new mind in turn. Look to the Savior for your righteousness and for daily renewal and go imitate him. As you do, the peace of God will be with you. Finally, Paul speaks of the contentment which is independent of circumstances. In verses 10 through 13, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Verse 11, I'm not saying that because I'm in need for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. So what Paul is doing here, he's, he's breathing in the infested air of a putrid surrounding in the Roman prison that he's in. He's grateful for the provisions from the Philippians, but regardless, he's wholly content for in his need, the power of Christ is displayed. And he, of course, says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. A very popular verse, but read in its context, it's even more powerful. It doesn't mean we've attained a level of greatness because we know Christ Therefore, he's going to make us awesome. It's saying that you and I can be content in the incredible highs and the devastating lows through Christ who gives us the strength to do so. Because our, our situations and our circumstances fluctuate moment by moment, right? Yet in Hebrews 13, 8, it says Jesus Christ is what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is a little embarrassing, but as I was preparing for this message this week, God helped me realize something about myself. And, and, and maybe you can relate to this, but I have this tendency to operate out of fear that God is disappointed with me. And can I submit to you something this morning that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have committed your life to turning away from your habitual patterns of destruction and reorienting yourself toward a life of obedience in him, you are not his disappointment. You are his delight. And this is something that I've had to wrestle with this week. Because even in this job, even in this job as an executive pastor, I have to work at knowing that I, am a not dis, that I am not a disappointment to him because of my performance. And it's the same for every person who has called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You are not his disappointment. You are his delight. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. 
Click back over to Matthew chapter six. This is the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 25 of chapter six. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God is pleased to give you the kingdom. It is our inheritance. Every follower of Jesus in this room today, God is delighted in you in such a way that he is pleased to give you the kingdom. So we seek first his kingdom and we seek first his righteousness. And all of those other things will be added. We've almost made it through a whole month of 2024 and it's just gone by very quickly. But what I want to do over the next minute or so is I want to lead us in a prayer of resolve based upon everything that we've just considered from Philippians chapter four this morning. And so it's gonna be kind of set up like we read in the New City Catechism, but I'm going to read a sentence and then we're going to respond together, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And so you can just remain seated. The words will be up on the screen. And all you have to do is say, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And here's the deal. You don't even have to believe a word of this prayer. You could be sitting there devastated by what has gone on in your life and you could not even believe it. But I love my wife because she says, you rehearse the truths of God and you pray until you believe it's the truth. Because whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think about these things was the admonition that we just read about. And so I say, Lord Jesus, 
I resolve to rejoice in you always. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord Jesus, I resolve to have a gracious, gentle spirit. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord Jesus, I resolve not to be anxious. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord Jesus, I resolve to pray with thankfulness. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord Jesus, I resolve to know your peace. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord Jesus, I resolve to dwell on the truth. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord Jesus, I resolve to be content in every circumstance. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. So in just a moment, our offering ushers are going to make their way to their positions. And I would encourage you, give sacrificially because Christ has given of himself sacrificially on our behalf. Give financially, give of your time, give of your service to the Lord. And after the buckets are passed, we are going to invite every baptized believer. You could be a regular attender, a member, a guest. But if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come to the table with us this morning to receive communion. There are a couple of stations up here as well as stations in the back that have gluten-free options. But we are coming to the table this morning to remember that Christ is sufficient in his life, death, burial, and resurrection has secured us in a place of righteousness in the presence of the heavenly father. And so we are going to take of the bread and the cup, remembering with gratitude in our hearts what he has accomplished on our behalf until he comes again and we sit at the table with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And we eat with him and enjoy his presence for an eternity. So if at any point during the next song that we sing after we receive offering, you feel, you, you feel the need to come to one of these stations and receive communion this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the truth that we find in your word. Thank you for the opportunity to consider it to dwell upon it. To heed Paul's admonition to think about the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely. To think that we truly have access to the peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I pray this time would be an impactful time to where we consider what we have just heard from your word. 
in this ongoing transformational process into the likeness of Jesus himself would continue. And we pray this in Jesus' name together. Amen. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us at lmbc.us. Thank you for tuning in today.